On this episode, we speak to West End and Britain's Got Talent star Brian Gilligan and check in on the development of another chess musical. This is The Oddcast. to the Oddcast. My name is Kian O'Dowd and this is the show where we bring you the latest news and opinion on all things musical theatre, not just on Broadway and the West End, but right here at home on the Irish musical theatre circuit. I am, as always, joined by my impervious co-hosts, Daniel Ryan and Adam Trundle. There we go. Keeping it positive. Impervious to much, but not my criticism. Mm, true. <laughs> Very true. Cuts like a knife. Yeah. <laughs> so deep. <laughs> because it it has been a while since we've managed to manage to record an episode, mm. but we're so busy, of course, right now. This is the this is the and problem. So many activities and things, places, events to be at, places to go. <laughs> I, I'm a bit concerned that the last episode has that that myself and Dan were falling out as the intro, and now suddenly there's this massive gap. Between... <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like it's like a producer has like you know stepped in and be like, okay, you need to patch things up you know and just gloss over it in the next episode nothing happened <laughs> yeah yeah but i think we're, i think we also alleged in the last episode that adam was nothing more than a mere composite soundboard yeah <laughs> <laughs> we've gone off the rails in terms of truth on this podcast yeah the, fake news yeah, the, that's all yeah, we the story, are the, the narrative news. is not really you know sticking together very well but it's okay it's good yeah well to be fair it's been a year I was about to say, it's been a journey to get to a full year of recording a musical theatre podcast without being able to see any musicals. That takes real skill. Some would say, what do you have to talk about? And I would say, not much. (laughs) But But yet we filled 20 plus hours of content. Yeah, there you go. We are nearly at the stage where you could put the oddcast on on midnight and it would run throughout until the following midnight. Yeah. I think what we have been blessed with is actually a series of genuinely interesting people who have given their time to speak to us. Yes, that's um, very true. The real stars of the Oddcast are, are our guests, yeah. you know, um, who actually have something decent to say for themselves. Yes. <laughs> uh, Unlike these three shysters. Yeah. Who are just... Look, the world, the world was built on the efforts of shysters. This is true. So long, long may it continue. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we are finally getting to a stage where, if not seeing the back of COVID, at least seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, that maybe at some point at the very end of this year, we might be in a situation where we can attend a performance of something. I'm holding out that hope. We could, Don't take it away yeah, from Yeah, we me. can start to think about possibly maybe potentially looking on the other side of a pane of glass. That's something. Yes. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> Bring your own glass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My tickets for Heather's, which was meant to be last October, uh, mm. are now this October. They're going to be worth so much money someday. <laughs> <laughs> for the show that just keeps rolling. Yeah. For the show that kept being postponed. Mm. It's the same, actually. I I think it's to the Killers in Malahide Park. It was meant, or in Malahide Castle, even. Uh, and that was meant to be June of 2020. It was postponed yes. to this June, but I got an email during the week which said it's now June 2022. God above. <laughs> Apparently they're unwilling to countenance anything other than June. <laughs> it's, it's the exact same week. So what I reckon they've done is they've taken their entire tour schedule and gone just add 365 days to that. Thank you very much. Because yeah. it's based around the lunar cycle, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Because Brandon Players is you a know. werewolf. 
You heard it here first. Yeah, well, he's either human or a dancer. Uh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Very good. For legal purposes, I have to clarify, Brandon Flowers is neither a dancer nor a werewolf. <laughs> uh, Shoot. <laughs> yeah. I understand he's human, but... <laughs> he's a Mormon too, actually. I wonder what he thinks of the old... Uh, uh, the book of... Parker and Stone musical, yeah. I'd say not. I would say... I'm going out on a limb and I would say not. Yeah, I... I uh, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Probably not. Because I don't understand the subject matter of the Mormon religion is treated delicately by the musical. No. No, it's another one that I didn't get to see because it was postponed in the board gosh. That's mm. true. But something that wasn't postponed from the board gosh was the live stream performance of La Boheme, the Puccini mm. opera, which starred a couple of notable faces to Irish musical theatre mm. heads. Uh, Celine Byrne, who obviously had her start with Nace Musical Society as, as a former Ames winner and was in The Sound of Music in the board gosh. Also featured in that cast was friend of the show, Rory Dunn, who we had as a, a guest a couple of episodes back. Um, so, you know, huge congratulations mm. to both of them. And it, it was great to see something on a theatre with music in Ireland. Absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I suppose that that's kind of all the local news, really, for for this instalment. There's not a huge amount going on. The, the only other thing worth mentioning is that... You know, as we know, the Ames Awards aren't going ahead this this year. There was nothing to adjudicate. Mm. But what the Ames Council have decided to do is is to proceed with the Mary Kelly Award uh, for Unsung Hero, which mm. which I which I guess makes sense because it's it's kind of a lifetime achievement award, and it, it's it's nice to still recognise the the work that people have done. And you know, there might even be particular stories coming from the pandemic where certain societies were were on the brink of 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 you know financial ruin or 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 you were in some serious trouble because of cancelled shows um so applications are are open until monday the 3rd of may uh, so looking forward to to reading about the nominees in showtimes and and finding out who the overall winner is yeah it's all they're always such lovely like heartwarming stories of of all the of mm. what people have done over the years so i'm 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 fairly confident that, like you said, this year will just provide even more of those, you know, just seeing how people have managed to kind of keep a bit of a, a bit of good spirit and goodwill during these very trying times. Yeah. It's nice to just have good news to look forward to. It's just nice to have a good news day. <laughs> <laughs> well, in other good news, the pandemic has not stopped innovation in the musical theatre world because I understand that another Netflix favourite is being adapted for the stage as a musical. And I do believe you're talking about the, the Netflix phenomenon that is The Queen's Gambit. Indeed. Uh, now, have you actually, have you watched The Queen's Gambit? I have, but not till the end. So please don't <laughs> ruin the ending for me. Okay, Adam? I, I haven't seen the ending. I assume, there's not a spoiler to say, I'm, I'm guessing she wins chess at the end. She completes the game. Why would you ask that question? I've literally asked for a sport. No spoilers. And it invites Dan to spoil Oh, well, I, haven't, I haven't seen it a single bit of it. <laughs> oh! I haven't seen a single, well, no. single bit. I couldn't. I think I watched five, the very first five minutes. And I was like, oh, this looks intriguing. And I'll come back to this. Like, I'm I'm three episodes in at the moment. It's, it's really good. Okay. It's really good. But the one thing it, that I really like about it is that if you've ever watched any movie or TV show that has chess in it, and I suppose specifically I'm talking about innocent moves, um, which starred um, Ben Kingsley and Josh Whiteskin, which was known as Finding Bobby Fischer in the States. It's just like this ludicrous, like all the chess in it is absolutely like insane. 
So if you've ever played chess, you look at it and you go, that's absolutely fucking farcical. Mm. There's no way a match would ever be conducted like that. But they're obviously changing things in order to uh, make it a little more cinematic or theatrical. What I really like about The Queen's Gambit is that the chess in it is actually real. Like I used to play tournament chess in school and you look at it and you go, that makes perfect sense to me. Oh, you absolute <laughs> lad. <laughs> you just go like, it fits completely with my public persona. But <laughs> but like you look at it and you go, oh no, like that, those are genuine moves. Like you would actually, you would actually mm. see that. Um, and I think like, what what's his name? Um, Bruce Gandolfini, who, you know, he's kind of like one of these, in- international master guys was uh was like a consultant on the show and you you kind of see i was like oh this is this is actually being taken quite seriously they're actually they're actually really trying to make it kind of authentic <laughs> yeah. which i think is is quite cool so that's like that was one of the things that immediately sucked me in about it i was like wow it's not a farce okay. amazing well you can you can you can send those suggestions to the entertainment company level forward mm. who have acquired mm. the the stage rights of now they've acquired the rights to the novel which the tv show was based off of the same name the queen's gambit mm. um but they're actually the, they're the production company behind two kind of juggernauts of well, the most recent season on broadway i don't really know when it started mm. or ended anymore but <laughs> but both time is meaningless time is now. meaningless but uh yeah. they're the team the company behind both jagged little pill which is obviously oh. i think up for is it's leading the way in tony award nominations yes in terms of musicals and then they are also behind the play slave play which is leading the way mm. for drama wow. nominations at this tony award so it seems to be in in, in good hands in in terms of like you know they, they seem they seem like they, they have their they seem to know yeah, what they're they doing their finger on the pulse right now they know what they're doing so we'll wait and see i mean i suppose having never seen this show i i, I don't know like could could we could we kind of like elevator pitch this right now like you know from what from your yeah. limited episode knowledge and my me knowing nothing at all well i you see the thing about it is that I'm really intrigued to see how this is going to work because the Queen's Gambit, I think what made the Queen's Gambit so interesting was it was it was kind of a subtler, more of a slow burn drama. Mm. Like it wasn't exactly action packed. Mm. But for me, I'm really intrigued to see how that works on stage because usually when you get a musical, it's about a sequence of quite dramatic set pieces that move the plot <laughs> along. Yes. Like end of act one, Sweeney Todd, you know, he's like, you know, big song. This is the point where I'm going to murder everybody. Amazing. And, and I, I don't see where those kinds of, you know, there aren't those real turning points in the, in the, the story of the Queen's Gambit. It's a much more gradual thing. So, but, but who knows? Hmm. Who knows? I, I, the one thing I, I hope that they don't do is kind of piss off everybody who really loved the book and the tv series for being that little bit more as as i said kind of subtler and nuanced mm, yeah yeah by by making it really ham-fisted because it, it of course like speaking of overly dramatized adaptations of chess stories the obvious <laughs> comparison is to benny bjorn and tim rice's chess mm-hmm. which I, I think was was once described in the New York Times as three hours of people screaming at each other like John McEnroe. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, that didn't go down too well on on Broadway in particular. They really didn't like it. 
So chess, chess, chess musicals have a lot, to, uh, have a lot of redeeming to do for themselves. Yeah, and this might salvage reputation. To be fair, this might mm. or 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 confirm what we already knew. I think they should get Benny and Bjorn on board to write music again. No, here we go. Do you know what? Can I, can I just say I am? I I was fascinated by the fact that a show largely about chess became the f- most watched thing yeah. on Netflix. Mm. But I'm also really intrigued by the fact that there is an there's an appetite from as you say Dan a big and acclaimed production company and taking a bet on this on Broadway because on face value look <laughs> as i mentioned before as being someone who played quite a considerable amount of chess in school <laughs> it wasn't how shall i put it considered to be maybe the most popular or socially accepted <laughs> thing in the world <laughs> so for it to be the premise of some of the most like w- a, w- the most popular netflix show out there and to be considered as something that's the premise of what i'm sure the production company hopes will be a wildly popular broadway musical does seem a little bit strange to me i guess if you think about the trend of broadway shows over the last couple of years there's been more and more big movie adaptations from screen to stage Mm -hmm. you know like there's a huge Mm. influx of like even like mean girls um as as a recent example of it um sure wasn't yeah that same year wasn't like all four nominees for best musical were well three of them were movies yeah because they the band's visit as well wasn't that kind yes. of a, it was spongebob, SpongeBob frozen, frozen mean girls and the band's mean visit. girls wow right yeah and yeah. then like just before that or just after that you got beetlejuice and and mm-hmm. you know was another one that has just escaped tootsie me. was another one yeah groundhog day recently yeah. as well like you just mm-hmm. so and and there's been this trend towards like limited series or, or TV series over move like like or at least it's now being mm. seen on a par with films where it it maybe wasn't before like you're getting huge a listers yes. now in like on uh, in, on Netflix and and on other TV series so I suppose Broadway's a little bit behind in that they're only starting to look at these big TV series now as their source materials I wonder are we going to see a lot more popular TV shows made into stage musicals because I can't think of that many off the top of my head that, that have been done. I'm sure Keen, you list 15. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there was a very obscure adaptation off off West End of no, I, I, I you're right. It's not something well, there's the Friends parody, isn't there? Like that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head is there was a Friends unofficial musical. Yeah, yeah. there was the um, um, on the West End or I think it was off West End was um, Only Fools and Horses, ah. which apparently actually was a very good musical. Like, you know, mm. by, by all intents and purposes, it, it actually apparently because I was like, as, as soon as I see something like that, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this could be a bit as we, the, the lovely word <laughs> ham fisted. Um, it just could be, it could be a bit much, <laughs> a bit much. But uh, I, I, by all intents and purposes, it actually wasn't too bad. Yeah, it has me thinking. What other TV series would make good musicals? Hmm. That is a very interesting one. This is what we spend a good percentage of our time doing, other than interviewing amazing guests like Brian, who'll be on soon. We pitch musicals to each other in the hopes of getting rich quick. <laughs> That's effectively what, what we do. Yeah. Someday we'll land on a good one. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think, like, what am I watching right now? Do you know what I would be in, what I would love to see? And you could keep the titular character on stage if it were a musical and i'm inspired by its recent re- recent announcement of its return fraser ah. okay yes kelsey you don't need to change kelsey grammar no out. you can keep yeah exactly you can keep them straight Boom. away and actually keep and david hyde pierce as well uh, we are 
we have yeah. the cast done already. <laughs> Perfect. It's, it, I mean, it's like just to, I don't know, watching a solid two and a half hours of Frasier singing through social faux pas <laughs> is, <laughs> that's going to be music to my <laughs> ears. top of the list. That's that's a good one. I like that. I like it. Yeah, I was thinking of, of The Simpsons before because I was like, the Simpsons needs to to retire as a TV show at this point. It's its relevance is mm. you know gone. Not relevant. But it's, I, <laughs> its relevance is not relevant. Yeah, exactly. As articulate <laughs> as as I can put it in one year pandemic brain. <laughs> like you've got most of the most classic Simpsons episodes have some element of musical theater or musicality to them in in my opinion this is true so like i wonder if you like, like the great moments like in the simpsons they have the planet of the apes musical with dr zayas dr zayas <laughs> dr zayas with the with the immortal lines <laughs> can i play piano <laughs> anymore of course yeah. you can well i couldn't before <laughs> <laughs> and their version of guys and oh dolls. yeah we're just a bunch of crazy guys and dolls yeah, to be fair, I'm going to say something controversial. If that song was in Guys and Dolls, it would be the best song in it Guys really and Dolls. It really would. Oh, completely wrong. That's so what? Nice. No, it, that's such a tune. I know I'm with Keen. I've said all along that 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 song is the best song from Guys and Dolls. And it's not even in the goddamn show. Like, yeah. <laughs> but potentially most famous is is the Marge versus Monorail episode. Yes, where which is kind of a takeoff on the Music Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, if if you want to impress Broadway, you keep it meta. You keep it satirical yeah and i i think you could do a full musical length marjorie's monorail and and throw in some you know because it's only 20 minutes that episode or so so you could expand it with some other storylines in classic simpsons fashion mm-hmm. now the question is do you paint everybody yellow or not or do you do a spongebob taking it where you where you you just put them in the costumes yeah i mean we're already getting into the <laughs> technicalities here when we don't i don't think we need to iron out all production <laughs> questions it's a fair, it's a fair question even at this point like you know we need... <laughs> it is it is it's it's a fairly basic hurdle that we have to jump over mm. in getting this to the stage. I think for me, I think for me, like, there's never been a proper stage adaption of High School Musical. I think they just, like, you know, released the rights to one. But, the, like, you know, it was just a movie. And now there is the Disney Plus series, High School Musical, the musical, the series. So how about a <laughs> yeah. musical version of that series? So then it's High School Musical, the musical, the series, the musical. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's so meta. There's it's just layers and layers, and I, I, I I'm not gonna lie. If I were to ever put money on a show outstripping the producers for Tony wins, <laughs> it would be that. So I mean, it, it we, we're we're looking for a get rich quick scheme. I mean, I think we found it. This is it. This is it. <laughs> well. Uh, if you have any suggestions for TV shows you think should be adapted into musicals, send us an email to theoddcast at oddtheatre.com or get in touch with us on social media on Facebook or Instagram at The Oddcast by Odd Theatre. That brings us to our guest for today's show. Our guest on today's show is a Dublin-born actor, singer, songwriter, and musician who will be known to listeners for both his West End work and his appearance on the hit television talent competition, Britain's Got Talent. His audition for that show, a cover of I'll Never Love Again from the musical film A Star Is Born, has garnered over one million YouTube views. Wiley has picked up an impressive string of credits right across theatre, including originating the role of Billy Mooney in the West End premiere of The Commitments, Guy in Once the Musical at the Olympia Theatre, Cornelius in Dr. Faustus at the Duke of York's Theatre, and Giuseppe Zangara in Assassins at Dublin's Gate Theatre. 
He was performing on the UK and Ireland tour of The Lion King when the pandemic brought theatre to a screeching halt. Welcome to the show, Brian Gilligan. Brian, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm good. I was struck when I was reading through your credits there that you've done a lot of interesting and varied things. I mean, usually when we get people on the show, it's musical theatre, musical theatre, musical theatre. But that's that's not all you have in terms of strings in your bow. Um, yeah, I have um stocks and trades. No, I'm joking. <laughs> 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 fine, fine vineyards and uh, multiple cars in my garage, not garage, garage. Um, <laughs> it's been an interesting few years, and I suppose, like in in the least uh, cheesiest way possible. like during the pandemic it's obviously just been very disorientating in a way to be trying to deal with the lack of live theater and the lack of the industry Mm. um being so consistent from you know from the amateur world to the professional world and everything in between but i suppose the one thing that's actually been quite nice has just been to to be able to sit back and kind of reflect on how great the last few years has been and i and I, I was actually talking to someone about this. I was talking to a friend recently and we were talking about that kind of in-between jobs time when you're working in a cafe or working in a shopping center, or working front of house at a theater, um, or, mm. you know, in call centers or a lot of the jobs that you would see as very menial and soul destroying. And the reality is that I think anybody would be kind of, you know, you know scraping at the window for jobs like that because the reality is that we're in a situation where until the industry gets back on its feet we need to do anything (laughs) that we can to work um you know some of us have been very fortunate to teach and but but i suppose the point that i'm trying to make is that like it's it's putting so much value in every in every single time that we've had the, the 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 blessing and the luxury to step on a stage and do something it's been been great to kind of think think about that and and it's been lovely to 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 have had the opportunity so far uh since i went fully full time in it and fully professional to to have done such a a kind of variety of things you know it's been uh, it's been it's been pretty cool so maybe take me back to your youth are you sure you want to go back? <laughs> There's parts that I, de- I definitely don't want to go back to. <laughs> At least I think I don't. Anyway. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm particularly interested in those ones, and I'm sure listeners will be as well. But, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is Ames we're talking about now. I'm not 100% sure if it's such a good idea. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God>. But I suppose, <laughs> I suppose what's interesting, I think, to everybody when we people come on this show and they've had a really interesting professional career is to kind of explore those moments where they began to know that actually this was going to be more than just something that they did for a sense of enjoyment as a sense of hobby this was going to be something that was kind of calling kind of a vocation something that they knew they really wanted to dedicate their professional lives to what were those moments for you that in in around that turning point that's that's a really cool question because i think for for an awful lot of people it starts quite young and from a place of encouragement whether it's something that they generate themselves or whether it's something that they get from parents or from 
people in their family or their circle mm. of friends that have that mm-hmm. belief in them to say, oh, you should do this. You could turn pro, you could go and train, you could do so many good things. And I suppose it's interesting because like, I, I come from a very musical family, but there was almost like a sense of the home environment just being slightly overbearing to, to, to points where I loved music with every fiber of my being. But there was mm. always that kind of paranoid, anxious part of me that was saying, get a qualification first and then whatever happens after that happens. And since I was since I was a child, we were just constantly surrounded by it all, thanks to my mom, who's like Ames veteran and tops of the town legend. And um, yeah. she was the one that, 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 that kind of bred it through us. And it was always in our, in our life's blood to the point where my brother, uh, took a a stage school turned it into a performing arts school and is still kind of working there and they they've a costume supply chain sparkle and he's got a lot of other strands of work that has kind of come come out of that and he's really established himself in in that circle um all thanks to all thanks to our mom but growing up in that environment was very much a case of you know my mother was tremendously motivated to try and get us into that in one way or another but i think there was the, the there was almost like the, the 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 practical side of me that was uh you know encouraged by my dad i guess he, he was just like you know like like if, if university is for you maybe you should just try and do something first and then and it wasn't in mm. a way that was trying to kind of hold us back from our dreams or what what actually happened as our dreams becoming reality eventually you know what i mean there there was an awful lot of good there I just think at times for me, there were, there were times where I kind of questioned, you know, after, after getting, getting my degree from St. Patrick's college, I, I went and I trained at the Royal Irish Academy of Music with every single bit of confidence in the fact that I was going to become an opera singer. Right. But even at that, I, I kind of right. felt like I was just doing it because I had a great teacher and because I wanted to um, pursue something that looked like it was going to be a little bit more realistic for me. I'd always look at musical theater performers mm. and I'd just be like, wow, look at them. They're all Adonises. They're all incredible, you know, phenomenal triple threats. And <laughs> and I suppose in, in, in that professional industry world of musical theater, um, particularly in, in London and, and, and in the UK, there's just this like, the, the, I, I, I used to kind of view it through the eyes of like, wow, this is just an unattainable level. I genuinely don't know how anyone mm. gets there unless it's either like, you know, three years of training rigorously or, or they just have to have that, mm-hmm. that, that special something. So I suppose like what's interesting for me is just that I think it was a case of the right show came around at the right time. Everything kind of came together uh, without me even knowing it. And that's how the commitments kind of opened up the door to me pushing myself and motivating myself. And thankfully what went prior to that was training my voice, training as a musician, but but, but never really seeing a, a career in professional musical theater as a possibility. And I had the one or two people you know, who'd kind of said, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You're, you're an idiot. You mm. like it. Like, how could you do that? The vast majority of people that I've ever come across have actually been tremendously positive and, you know, really, really brilliant and friendly. And, you know, that's what you want to be to anybody that you, that, that, that you get involved with. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, I, th- I think if I'm to answer your question as accurately as possible, had it not have been for the commitments, I don't think I ever would have had that doorway in. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it, it, it just, 
and and it shows the versatility of casting for you know actor musos and people who who wouldn't look like what you would associate the generic kind of musical theater performer as and it's um it was just a godsend and it genuinely changed my life and how i was to kind of go forward as a as a singer actor like the commitments obviously is a fantastic show and like you said there it, it, it was a doorway for you like how did you find out it was happening and how did you get involved like so what? i was involved in a show in 2012 called the promise at the helix uh, which paul redmond had put on and it ran for a week and mm. i think we were in the weekend of our run like I, I mean it was yeah it was literally just a run for like what was the seven performances so we ran from a tuesday to a saturday kind of standard time and we had a matinee show on the saturday and i hadn't realized it but a couple of people in the cast had actually reached out to um to an agency that are now well that that are now known as uh, collective but at the time they were known as boland and reeve and one of the guys, mm. uh, with the, the actual the head of the agency at the time, had only kind of started the, the, this agency in London, but he had a lot of connections in Ireland and was here at the time. And someone had kind of pushed him in the direction of the promise and said, like, you should you should come in and have a look at this show. And I didn't realize that he would he would be there on the matinee. And previous to this, I'd auditioned for him, but because such a massive amount of time went by, I was like, nah, this isn't happening. There's no way, like, I I, I, I definitely didn't get represented by this guy. <laughs> but after the, uh, after the evening show, I got a call from him and uh, I, I basically was in the car and he was having a chat with me and he just said, listen, I had to run off to uh, some family that, that, that are based in uh, Clondalk. And I think, I think that's where his digs were. And I think that's where he was kipping for the weekend. And he just said, um, "Do you do you fancy having a chat next week? And maybe we can kind of get you get you over to, to to London at some point and make everything make everything official." And I just couldn't believe my luck because even in even in light of the commitments casting happening eventually, I don't think it would have happened as kind of fast track had I not have had an agent to fly us. Well, he did. He, he wasn't like physically responsible mm. for flying me over to London and getting me the audition, but he was the one that got me in the door. <laughs> and it was it was with David Grinrod, lovely, lovely man, and like a, a, a brilliant casting director, and has done so much, including once. Um, mm. But yeah, that's what that, that's what essentially got me over to London. Uh, I got represented by him, and uh, I flew over for the three auditions. It was a brilliant audition process. It was just constant like audition workshopping where we got to play loads of different instruments in uh, in uh, the Loop Studios at King's Cross and Pancras, and all the creatives were, th- were there. We got to do script reads. But as you're going through the motions, you genuinely do not think or at least I had this idea in my head that I was like, oh God, like I, I, I remember there was like when I went in for my final audition, I, I was seeing people like Killian Donnelly walk in the room and I was just like, Jesus, this is insane. What is actually going on? Seriously. Like I'm, I'm in an audition process with him and Sarah O'Connor and Jessica Chervy and all of these amazing performers and I just remember I was just sitting there with my drumsticks in my hand and I, I probably looked and felt like a really kind of innocent, like 10 year old in a toy shop. I couldn't, I was just like <laughs> wide eyed to it. I was like, is this actually happening? Like, holy, holy God. 
yeah, it was it was just a phenomenal process. Like, and between the final audition and getting the offer, I think it was about a month because it was quite a quite a long process for them. And obviously, it was a world premiere of a new mm. show, so they so so they kind of took their time about it. But had it not have been for the promise happening, the agent coming for the matinee show, contacting me that night, and getting us in to the room for the commitments, it it genuinely never would have happened. It would have passed us by, and I wouldn't have even realized it. And what was your experience performing that show? Because, I mean, you're going out on the West End night in, night out. Or did it feel like a realization of a long held ambition or did it just get to feel like work pretty quickly? Uh, it did feel like a realization of a, of a long desired ambition that I genuinely mm. just thought was going to be a pipe dream. And it felt it felt like a huge learning curve. Like I, I I'm kind of. I look back on it now and I love how there was almost this like this kind of stay quiet and pick up everything by observation and just listen, keep your ears constantly, your ears and eyes constantly <laughs> open, um, you know, <laughs> try not to fall into the habit of going out on too many nights on the batter. I think after the first three months, I was like, <laughs> yes, we've opened, let's get it. You know what I mean? Um, and obviously press nights and stuff like that. But um. No, it, it it was it was brilliant. It was it was genuinely brilliant, and it was such a such a humbling experience as well. Because I think the way that show was cast was quite unique in that you had the actor muso element. You had people mm. who worked in places like, um, you mm. know, Theatre Cluid and you know the a lot of the Peter Rowe shows that take place in Ipswich and and you know certain parts of England and Wales and Leeds and incredible guitar players, bassists, drummers. Um, people that were coming from like Jersey boys and we were rock you and a lot of these big, big shows. And then you had the likes of, you know, then you had the likes of Killian who was literally just stepping off the stage after having finished Tony and Billy Elliot and had Les Mis and Phantom and such a wide mix. And, and, And I think that's what was really interesting to me, this like professional circuit where people were going from show to show to show, job to job to job. And here's me. I'm like, I, I I just I'm just after coming out of the Academy of Music in Dublin and this is my first job out of college, like or, or university or training. Yeah. And it, it it was almost like the desire had been quelled, but it was quelled in a way that I was like, oh crap. Like one like once I got to London and once I was involved with the show, I'd actually seen how I put so much stock in my musical training and in training my voice that what the commitments did was it made me concentrate on the other facets of, you know, being an actor muso. So I'd, I played drums for a few years, but being involved in the commitments actually made me like mm. really technically up my game because the original uh, Mika on the show, uh, Joe Wilmer, who I've remained, like he's one of my best mates, um, shared a dressing room together, uh, still keep in touch, was planning on going to his wedding this year, but obviously it got cancelled because of COVID. But like, this this guy, just as an example, was like a former blue man, and he he was mm. and he is just he's just a presence. He's just he walks in the room, and you you feel like you're you're literally in the midst of something mental but beautiful at the same time, and that's how his energy. But his energy just totally got passed over and I was like crap I really really need to up my game but then you realize that that like he's very generous he was out to help we'd be sitting backstage and we'd be doing drum and drills together just just for the crack and just because he enjoyed the aspect of teaching me things that I genuinely didn't didn't get but then 
throughout the year, that was just the process. It was just trying to stay well oiled and making sure that you didn't let be, because, you know, if you go out on stage and if you muck up, it's like, Oh, it, it, it can literally just stick out like a sore thumb. So it was always the case of just trying to maintain the, the standard of the show. And then you had like brilliant script by Roddy Doyle, obviously amazing music and uh, a brilliant production to go around it. So there was the element of not letting you kind of get too carried away but at the same time being it was a great year for me because it was such a massive learning curve and i think that's what genuinely changed me as a i suppose as a pro it was just really really exceptional it really was and you also did the the tour for the for the commitments as well was there any kind of more pressure bringing that kind of to ireland than having done it in the west end because obviously you know there's so many shows in the west end whereas Everybody in, in Dublin knows the commitments. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think there was a slight bit more pressure. Um, I think it was just because, like, because of the change of part, but, but also because of the fact that when you're bringing a, a show home, home, mm. you, you know, your expectations, I suppose, are slightly different. And I think you you begin to realise just how much it actually means to, to, to people from Dublin. Because in a way, I think culturally, just because Dublin is a very kind of specific like social dynamic in the in the language, in the colloquialisms mm. and you know, what you think of Dublin, you think, you know, you think of the things like the the, the Haypenny Bridge and O'Connell Street and Northside Dublin particularly, you would think of kids riding around on horses as you know a, as a, a as a recreational activity you would think of <laughs> you, you have you have this like and, and that's why the film was so genius that's why alan parker was such a phenomenal man to shoot that that uh, that element of dublin that people didn't see because i suppose prior to movies like that there was this image abroad of ireland just being a very tight teeth toe place you know like mm. like the yeah. like you know the, the 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 front package of a frosted lucky Charms cereal box and <laughs> but, but it's just the reality i think i think just people romanticize about the country a lot until they actually come over to it and they see that you know we do have wi-fi and that we have you know like like a lot of the same kind of places and cities and you know a lot of similar life like, like everybody else and i suppose sim- mm. similar to the to the neighbors next door but i think like like sorry not trying to get carried away with too much uh, too much <laughs> description but i think because of the fact that the show had already spent 2 years uh, on a west end stage and brought that element of kind of you know dublin irishness to to the west end as well as once because we ran at the same time as them when we went on tour and when we brought it mm. to dublin and belfast we were thinking to ourselves, man, we really, really have to be on this. Run it slick, run everything as if it's as authentic as it possibly can be. And thankfully, the audiences for the three weeks that we were there in the board, gosh, loved it. They lapped it up. They yeah. just thought that the, that the fact that this great story had been adapted for stage and for a live theatre piece and had also brought you know, the kind of get up and party and dance vibe of a jukebox musical. There was almost like this kind of, they're striking the balance of the best of both worlds. And that's where people started to see the huge value in how much of a great show it was and a fun night out, you know? So that, and that was up to us. That was up to that tour cast to really, really bring that. And I'm confident and very proud enough to say, I think we did. 
<laughs> you did. I saw it and I loved it. So and, um, you know, it's it brilliant. Yes, it's brilliant. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Success. Yeah, yeah. But Brian, obviously finishing your your first West End show is a huge milestone for anybody with, as you say, that long-standing ambition to get as an actor. When you finished with the commitments, was there a sense in your head of where you wanted to go next or what you wanted to do next? Do you know what? It's mad when I think back about it because I remember when the commitments finished, it was almost like the world around me. Except, Well, no, no, actually, I tell a lie. Like The experience of living in London for me and being half an hour from the West End and literally in the heart and in the centre of everything that I had wanted to be in for a very long time was fantastic. I'd, you know, I, I, I moved in with um, my girlfriend around the time the commitment started. We, we moved in together in London and uh, we're now married, two kids. I think an awful lot of people put so much kind of stock in the shows or the productions that they're involved in or the jobs that they have. I'm not saying that everybody does. Mm. Thankfully, I, I had my, my passion that I could go to, but you know, I also had this brilliant balance of having a wonderful personal life. And I suppose like just, just the fact that Laura and I living together in the UK was such a fantastic time because, you know, she she's also an actress and she understands the kind of the ins and outs of the audition process and how you get yeses and how you get noes and how you've got to have thick skin and how you've got to be quite resilient in in some ways or in a lot of ways. Mm. When the commitments finished, it was actually a bit of a hard time for me because I'd just come off two and a half years of having a consistent job, being in the palace theater of getting to perform incredible songs and, you know, get to be involved with a brilliant bunch that when it, that when it ended, it's it's almost like you're, you know, that that side of your world just goes. And it was great just being able to kind of chat with her about it. And tr- it's almost like you've got to shed your skin and you've got to turn over a new leaf. But because that was the first time that that had happened to me properly, it was a very difficult process. And um, also because of the traveling nature of work, because uh, she had to fly back to Dublin for, for uh, a theater job. And I decided that I was going to stick it out in London and go into like a, a, what was it? It was a four-hander play at the Charing Cross Theatre, which was a beautiful production, but like a considerable step down from this like big energy kind of blaring music, you know, lights and sounds, just spectacle of the commitments to come back to something very much, you know, stripped back and, and more intimate and 200 people coming in to listen to Edith Piaf songs as opposed to, all right, right, Sally, right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, <laughs> it was hilarious. But but you know what? I, I, I remember I was, I was in a situation where I had a choice between taking Piaf, which I am glad I did because I actually think it just opened my eyes up to what it was to do the extreme opposite of the commitments. But at the mm. time, it was a choice between mm. that and a panto gig. And I just remember pulling my hair out because I was like, I'd love nothing but to go home for two months and have the crack of panto and just off the back of a show, like the commitments, maybe just to keep that energy level consistent and maybe maybe the reputation of the show follows from one into another. But I took PF on the risk that I, I just kind of felt like, crap, I need to really, really clock up some plays and some some straight theatre. And maybe just give myself the grounding after two and a half years that I could probably do it just to dust myself off. And mm. 
iron out the creases and try and do something that wasn't in any way like the commitments, except for the aspect that it was an actor muso show. They'd arranged um, two clarinet players, two button accordionists. And, but um, the whole thing was just done in this like very kind of multi-ensemble way. But mm. it was it was completely the opposite and it was lovely to be involved in. And that would have been definitely responsible for the likes of Faustus and later on Jimmy's Hall. And I remember someone telling me like either like when I had this decision between one or the other, you can either take a panto job, which is fantastic, or you can go for something that maybe a little bit less in the wallet, but is actually going to give you a versatile picture and push you in different directions. And that's the risk you take because I, I, I kind of feel like, again, after the commitments and not having anything for a while, going through the audition process and getting like yeses and noes. I remember I was in for like 20 jobs. My my first audition after the commitments was Jersey Boys and I butchered it because I'd just been off the back of uh, the commitments and like your body winds down, you'll either get a flu or a cold or yeah. something to completely <laughs> to completely fucking ruin your body for a couple of weeks because you've got to let your guard down and let your immune system get shit for a while. And um, you're better off just taking a break and just having a bit of time just to do the things that you hadn't been able to do, you know, like go and see other shows or maybe take a holiday or that type of thing. But thankfully the right thing came at the right time and I'd, I'd worked it out and it gave a little bit more dynamic to the to the CV and I'm I'm really really glad that as well as the commitments happening that PF happened because it was one extreme to another and then things started to really take shape. I think that sounds like a really bold choice to go actually I'm going to do something where I think I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone here and where I'm, I'm going to learn from it rather than just taking something that will be the same as what you've already done you know to go and say actually I've never done this yeah, so let's yeah. have a go at it definitely no it is it's it's fun and it was uh I suppose just an interesting way to spend a December because um I, I I'd managed to get home for the couple of days just to get back and obviously spend time with Laura and hang out with both of our families and stuff which was great but on Stevens's day it was the flight back and we were straight into doing this really kind of like dark tragic play <laughs> yeah it was just like going you know what I mean like you're but yeah it was and, mm. and anything could have happened but thankfully thankfully the right things came about which I'm forever grateful for because you mentioned Faustus there and um I mean you you say PF is probably about as far away from the commitments as you can get I'd say Faustus is also about as far away from the commitments as you can possibly get. I mean, it's sort of, an, you know, one of these real iconic plays. But that combination of experience that you got in the credits that you built up, which is varied and dynamic, how do you think that's prepared you for the later points then in your career so far? Uh, that's, that, that's a cool question, because for someone who never trained as an actor, I think it definitely gave me an appreciation for that process by itself. And I think with someone turned around to me and, and gave me a like a saying I suppose just and, and I suppose the way I interpreted it was actually kind of it was uh it was one of those things that kind of took me a couple of days to really really properly register because you know when you have shit going on you can be slightly selfish and you can be like oh yeah okay fine thanks whatever and you just think a phrase like that's slightly cheesy but then the more time went on it actually really really settled into me and it was um expect nothing prepare for everything and I really, really value that. Like I've gone into auditions and botched it. I've gone into auditions and I've 
you know, admittedly taken things for granted because I just, I haven't been focused. My, I haven't had my concentration. I haven't had my thought process in the right place or my, my body and my mind in the right place. And I've also gone in trying to impress and I don't really think that works in people's favor. I think with Faustus, what was interesting about it was that I went into audition for the job telling myself I'm not going to get it, but just having the crack <laughs> because I had nothing to lose. I was teaching in London at the time for, for an after schools uh, company, which, which was great. And I think after PF, it was slightly different for me because I was like, right, you know, you, you've got to go out and work. Stop having this chip on your shoulder just because you play two parts in a West End show for two and a half years that that somehow gives you some entitlement to sit in your hole all day long and live off your savings. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, I do. Come on. Like, But I think that's what was really cool about Faustus because um, I'd never touched any Marlowe repertoire. Mm. Um, the closest that I got to anything of a, of a bard nature was Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, I'd done like a condensed version of Midsummer Night's Dream three years prior to that as part of like a, a six month actor training program. All thanks to Kathleen Warner Yates, who is a legend. Thank you, Kathleen. <laughs> you literally saved me from what could have been, you know, multiple car crashes in audition circumstances on, on many an occasion. Glorious woman. And I have to give her a shout out. She's absolutely brilliant uh, and a good friend. But yeah, I think that sense of just putting the expectations at the door and preparing mm. and going in knowing the script and and you know what it's like it's it's mad because th there's so many situations where i didn't do that and i just felt static i felt like i was just reciting as opposed to going in and finding little sparks like i remember I, I remember like my faustus audition for like what was it that we had to read for the there's like a good angel and an evil angel kind of mm. like devil and angel on the shoulder and uh they're trying to kind of either tempt Faustus or get him to use his logic. And there was one scene where I just like pulled a Tom Vaughn Lawler and decided like, fuck it, I'm going to read the script like Nidge. And then there was another one where I decided that I was going to try and read another part like John Cleese. And then someone else was like, you know, I don't know. I think I did a Spanish accent randomly, which I don't think I did. You know, it was just a case of like the director saying, you know, play around with this. But it made the difference being prepared mm. meant that I just had this audition like it was a playground as opposed to, you know, here are the lines. Now, now, now cold read everything while you're holding them in your hand. And since then, I've been like, yeah, I'm just going to mm. follow that. Regardless of how much time you've got, try and get get stuff off and i know it could be like such a basic thing anybody could say like that's such a simple thing but i think an awful lot of people don't really put value into it because they're just like you know oh well you don't have to learn it off if you don't want to but we would recommend that you do they're essentially saying learn the fucking script <laughs> do you know what i mean like um and it definitely did it did a world of of wonders for me you know listening to ian mckellen <laughs> On, on, on extras <laughs> it's, it's all in the script <laughs> Brian what inspired you to do Britain's Got Talent uh, fear of the unknown and I suppose just trying to uh, find a bit of a platform where I could kind of pick myself up and start again mm. There was a part of me that wanted to quit because I kind of, I had a bad experience on a 
be, being part of an entertainment group on a on a cruise ship and I came back and I was saying I don't really know if I want this lifestyle anymore. I was massively grieving the loss of my brother who'd only passed away about six months prior to that experience and that was really hard to the point where I just kind of shut down from singing for quite a while. I was doing some teaching and I was doing the odd gig here and there but I thought it's almost like I just lost flair. I didn't really I didn't really have a love for it anymore. It, it died for a while. The fire went out. And I think with Britain's Got Talent, it was just a way of mm. giving myself a kick in the arse to get back and do it. And uh, I, I will say this, like Britain's Got Talent was great, but it was very nerve wracking. <laughs> it was, it was nerve wracking. <laughs> I'll um, bet. Oh man. It's just like, it, it's, <laughs> it's almost like it's a completely different world, but it's a world that will either, you know, put some muscle on you, or it'll be something that you just you go and do and you you said you've done it and i and i really enjoyed it i i I really enjoyed it for what it did for me personally i never went Mm. into it with any kind of professional endeavor um (laughs) and you're saying bullshit of course you did (laughs) But um, but but look, I mean, look, it's it, it is a wonderful show. It's it's great for people who who have extraordinary talents aside from singing, and the singing contingency that year was like phenomenal. You know, it's one of those things that I think you. I think if I'd have told myself like I'm gonna go in because I I, I want to do this for my career, I need to reignite who I am and you know all that kind of thing. But I was like, nah, nah. I, like if I was gonna do it for that type of thing, then I think a part of it just would have meant me living on social media, and yeah, I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to do it just to just to get up and just find the interest and the love and the passion for it again. And thankfully, I I did. Well, it obviously struck a chord because you reached the semi-finals, as we said. Many of those videos that feature you have hundreds of thousands or over a million hits on on YouTube. I mean, to what extent do you think that it helped your profile and and subsequently helped your career in theatre? I think it helped it considerably because it's it's a nice little CV to have under the belt and there's content there. And I got to sing songs that I never would have thought I, I, I ever would have covered. And that was a challenge like that. Those rep sessions for BGT are like, you know, you, you get a vocal coach, you get someone from A&R, you get people constantly putting you through your paces and giving you different songs to work on. And I remember we'd explored so many different options. So, yeah, it did. A, it, it, it does do a lot for your career. And I think I think when it comes back to the person, it definitely opens up how much you have to work. I, I'd spoken to a pal of mine from the Lion King tour, Nigel, who one of the Simbas, and he had done the voice in Holland. And he even said, like, the graft in those shows, because it's such a condensed space mm. of time, it's not like a tour where you get a year to go out and rectify mistakes that you may have made last week or the day before. This is something that you've literally got to be the utmost perfect that you can be in a matter of weeks. And that's what was really, really cool. So yeah, and and you know, as as well as the <laughs> much and all as we have to be careful when we use this word exposure. Um but it is, but 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 but, but this is the thing, you know, people people get recognized, people get re-recognized, people can kind of re-establish themselves. And I th- I think I did too, and I was I was so fortunate to get that. The fact that I well, I I, I don't know how many views on the on, on the video, but like it's great to know that 
that that actually happened. It kind of, it gets embedded into your profile and if people want to check out who you are and what you're about, then there's something there, you know? It's nice to know that it happened so that, I suppose, so that these things can can be received positively. And I think if I was to stick around on the show any longer than the semi-final... It kind of acts as a proxy showreel in a way. It does, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and an amazing one where there just so happens to be 1,400 people sitting in front of you applauding you and it's it's <laughs> you know it's insane it's insane um and mm. i suppose like for the open auditions as well what i didn't see purely because i had to wait quite a considerable amount of time until i'd gone on stage was just how patient and how receptive the audience were like that's the thing these are the people that were there from from what time maybe 11 o'clock in the morning and we're there for 12 hours and we're told, okay, you can go to the toilet now. All right, applaud now. Ha 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 now. Boo. You know, <laughs> you know it's like, um, but yeah, it was, it was really, really cool. And yeah, just, just like, just very uh, complimentary for like, for a huge adrenaline buzz. And yeah, as you said, showreel by proxy. Couldn't have, couldn't have described it better myself. It was awesome. I have to ask, what are the judges like in real life? <laughs> um. <laughs> uh it's mad i i never once ap- apart from being on stage uh i didn't bump into simon cowell uh or david williams so i still can't i still can't really tell i know shocking um i will say though Ali- alicia dixon and amanda holden were nothing but friendly really sweet i bumped into amanda holden uh walking back to my porta cabin after a rehearsal and she was just getting ready to walk from it's it's amazing the artists were kept in a separate building or a separate area under the uh, bridge at Hammersmith and we were walked to the to the venue. And I think it was just because our paths crossed and she was like, oh, hi, Ryan, how's things? And I was like, oh, my God, you remembered my name. What is going on? <laughs> what, in what world do we live in where this happens? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's just like Simon Cowell is like, is, is the God in that world. He's unreachable. Mm. Um but yeah, look, from what I could tell, they were all very nice. I, I didn't manage to come into contact with any of them and uh, d- d- didn't really have a have a chat with any of them, uh, apart from Amanda and Alicia. And Alicia Dixon is just really sweet. Like she's, I think she's the kind of person that strikes me. It's almost like I literally just love being entertained every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who doesn't? Like yeah, well, this is it. This is it. Like, yeah. but they're 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 cool. They're, Dang they're, it! I wanted some drama. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't provide you with enough drama. Yeah, you're just, grand, Brian. I'll just oh, I'll make crap. it. I'll make it myself. I'll make it myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brian, we mentioned at the top of the show that you were on stage with the Lion King as part of the tour when just about this time last year the curtains came down and they haven't really gone back up since what was that experience like um well i think the I, I think the fact that i've been involved in the lion king has just been pretty extraordinary again it was a job that i never expected to come to fruition and i'm so i i have never ever ever really experienced anything like that that's that that's a dream from childhood but that's not the kind of thing that i thought as a child that i would ever be involved in i would always be happy with a show like that to be a bystander or an observer and just to be in the audience and just to have just to have the, the head and the heart filled with so much joy and tears mm. and everything. Because I think regardless of 
whatever age you are, whatever your preference is for what style of theatre, The Lion King is something pretty special. They have not given me any drugs to talk up this show, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> talk about Disney like it's absolutely amazing. Are you <laughs> <fired>? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, so for us to have a, a pretty deadly run in Bristol and Edinburgh and then for the plug to be pulled, it was heartbreaking. Look at the Irish too. It would have happened on right on St. Patrick's Day that we were told <laughs> coronavirus is here. And sadly, the show will not be continuing until we can give an official announcement that it will. So to have that ecstasy and then to have it all stop, I like I've had the time to process as, as have uh, everybody else. The, I think the the real heartbeat of the show is the people. They're they're just brilliant. We've kept in touch. We've been spurring each other on i did a workshop series recently with a few of the cast heads for um for the university of limerick which is great yeah we're all devastated but the good thing is that things have started to announce their reopening in the uk so it's starting to instill some hope and i think recently there's been an announcement of a couple of tours being brought to like a condensed outdoor performance but unfortunately we're still in a position where we don't know where our movements are and a show of this right. scale, it's kind of one of those things where you feel like it cannot operate unless it's indoor to a pretty epic majority mm. capacity yeah. audience. It's all or nothing with, with something like that, yeah. Exa- exactly. We just have to wait. That's the worst worst thing about it, but say la vie. Like with those glimmers of hope, is there anything in the pipeline? Any other musical ventures? Oh, you, you, you mean for me? <laughs> things in, in <laughs> or for, for other yeah, for you, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I, I will be returning with the with the Lion King, and um, like I have to say this, like since I've come back, I've actually had a lot of time to just um be concentrating on like songwriting. I released an EP last October with a friend of mine. Uh, we collaborated as a band, Medved Gilroy, and. Our music is up on Spotify and iTunes and that type of thing. And then um, I've actually I've, I've actually come back to doing a lot of teaching, which I'm planning on. Uh, and and uh, plug pl- pl- time, plug time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm running a, a an online vocal coaching uh, studio. Uh, I train with Voice College London. I'm planning on going back and doing a couple of other things like my APD to like to get to get a considerably high level um of training just because i love it and i'm uh i'm you know i'm a qualified secondary school music teacher as well that's first and foremost my my trade so to be able to return to that and to have that uh kind of set back into the into the routine somewhat has been great fortunately i was able to be involved with um the Verdam Productions, uh, Hans Christian Andersen over Christmas which i had a brilliant time doing and again all all such a wonderful kind of benchmark for covid compliant socially distanced shows and how it would seem the future will be f- for a while I-, I i hope short term as opposed to long term but thankfully it's mm. given us a platform by which we can actually mm. do something yeah i just you know i'm i i just think with my passion for music and with wanting to learn more and with wanting to get involved with people and literally just throw myself into as much home recording and the biggest the biggest thing that's happened is that i actually get to spend time with my wife and kids all thanks to the pandemic it's the perfect storm because much and all as the tour was glorious mm. my my first son oscar was born and i had to go back to edinburgh after two weeks paternity leave and i when you have kids and when you've got to leave them because of the type of work that you do like that there's nothing but this feeling of disjointedness 
and frustration but at the same time you know that you're leaving because you've got to provide and it's nice as well because when the tour when the tour mm. returns they'll be that bit older and we're hoping to get them on the road more often my wife laura is training to be a primary school teacher as well her studies are mobile which is great so she can actually come with me and we can do the things that we weren't able to while she was pregnant and I, I can start looking like the providing father as opposed to the, the wandering <laughs> vagabond. Who <laughs> <It> was children. <laughs> well, all this uh, is left to do, I guess, is to thank this wandering vagabond for his time <laughs> today in, in speaking to us. Brian, listen, thanks very much. Great to have you on the show. Wish you the best of luck and looking forward to seeing you in The Lion King. Hopefully sometime soon all the best thanks so much guys thanks for having me have a great one bye all that talk about the lion king has really just gotten me to a place where i'm like fuck i really need to go see a show (laughs) (laughs) shit you know just talking to brian you're just like oh man i miss it so much so good so i can't i can't even begin to imagine what you know people who do it professionally like him must be feeling yeah I think I may go watch some DVDs of of musicals now. Well, they're putting out Shrek, aren't they, on Netflix? I was just about to say that, so I could not remember what one was coming to Netflix. Yeah, with Brian Darcy James and Sutton Foster. Yeah, it's the OG one, yeah. Which is really good. I I watched it on uh, Google Play kind of around the start of the pandemic. I remember you paid for like a schmuck. All this was wait a year. All I had to do was wait a whole year. And, I <laughs> and then pay for a Netflix membership. <laughs> <laughs> what a dope. Oh, how do you think I felt? I paid for so I, I paid for so many fucking Marvel movies and now they're all on Disney Plus. Like I, bought... I am still subscribed to Broadway HD. <laughs> You're the sole subscriber. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Sole subscriber. Hell, That's yeah. it. That's quite a good name for a, a musical or TV show. <laughs> Um, yeah i mean it, it, like it'd be a one-hander wouldn't it, it naturally yeah <laughs> quick question what do you think for a sophomore album do you think of the name truncated rhomboid <laughs> <laughs> well what's it a follow-up to that's the important part i, I was like i was like what's the debut album <laughs> well the debut album is disco volante all right okay oh it's a serious genre change it sounds like yeah, I don't even know what the genre for a truncated rhomboid is, but <laughs> we'll figure it out. That sounds like math rock or progressive rock or something, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. This is good, though. I can't wait to hear it. There's no one dancing yeah. to truncated rhomboid. Like, it is. It's like it's like thir- turning from, like, 13 eight into 13-7. Into 5-8. Yeah, dream theater. Could have had an album called Truncated Rhomboid. Yeah. Is a rhomboid a body part or a shape? <laughs> like, do, uh, oh, I, I have a, a rhomboid a infection. Or <laughs> <laughs> my, rom- my rhomboid is infected. Jeepers. Really? I have to see somebody about that. <laughs> Mainly a geometrist. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a truncated rhomboid. Clear. <laughs> I think it's actually both. There's a, there's a muscle, but then there's also like a, like a shape. It's like a... Is it a 3D rhombus? Is that what it is? Ooh, like uh, like like cube cuboid. A rhomboid is a parallelogram in which adjacent sides are of unequal lengths and the angles are not are non right angles. And, and just for all the biologists out there, the rhomboid <laughs> muscles, often simply called the rhomboids, are rhombus shaped muscles associated with the scapula. Scapula. So 
they're they're kind of around they're kind of connecting your shoulders to your spine basically rhomboid major and rhomboid minor to the middle of your back not your spine i don't think they actually fuse directly onto the (laughs) spine bone yeah well well then a a truncated rhomboid sounds painful well yeah if it's an injury i suppose yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) if if it's just a math problem I, I'm not sure it's that tragic. <laughs> it's, it might still be painful, though. <laughs> might, yeah, true. It might still be painful. Um, anyway, I can't wait for the album, Dan. <laughs> yeah. You never told us about the first album. When, when's, yeah. it, when's it coming out? Oh, June 2022, along with... I'm, I'm supporting the killers in Malahide Castle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you there, so, Dan. <laughs> it's actually a musical theatre concept album about, about a mathlete who gets a sports injury. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i'm just going down a google wormhole on this <laughs> well well you enjoy your weekend that's all i have to say yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i i think i think i ought to neatly wrap that up there thank you very much for joining us today for this episode of the oddcast don't forget to subscribe follow or add to library on where you listen to your podcast to make sure that you don't miss any great content also don't forget to follow us on instagram facebook and twitter at the oddcast by odd theater but until the next time stay safe gang <laughs>